Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grove Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Nick and I have the honor and privilege of pastoring the Grove Church right here in Fontana, California. Here at the Grove, our vision is to see our community grow closer to Christ, be givers like Christ, and reintroduce the lost to Christ. And my prayer is that as you listen to this message, you will be encouraged, you'll grow a little in your faith, and you wouldn't just hear the word, but you would become a doer of the word. But I wouldn't just stop there. I encourage you to share this message with your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, and anyone else you can think of. And after you do that, follow us on social media and visit our website at yourgrovechurch.org to learn more about who we are as a ministry and how you can get involved and plugged in right here at The Grove. I'm excited for you to hear this message. I can't wait. So get your notes ready and let's dive all the way in together. All right, do me a favor, grab your Bible. We're going to jump into Titus chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. So Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 is where we are going to start today. We're going to read this text. I'll give you guys the title of our message. We'll pray over the word, and then we will get started today. All right, so let's read. Uh, So it says, remind the believers to submit the government, submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show the humility and show true humility to everyone. Once we, too, were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. Verse four, it says, but when God, our savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Everybody say his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Verse six says he was generously, uh, he generously poured out the spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our savior. Because of his grace, everyone say because of his grace. We did a five-week series on grace, and so we know all about grace. But because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. What confidence do we have in that? Man, verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. Do not get involved in foolish discussions. And this is really what sets up our message today. Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish law. These things are useless and a waste of time. Of course, we are not living in these times. And so the law that we are talking about is going to be a little different But really what we're talking about here is let's be obedient to the laws of the land. Um, Let's not get into foolish discussions about things that are going on in our world today. And again, this really sets up what we're going to be talking about today. The next verse, it says, if people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing to do with them. Everybody say, ooh, 
This is harsh. If Again, I'll read it again. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. Tell your neighbor you only get two shots. You only get two shots. After that, have nothing more to do with them. Last verse we're going to read. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. So again, those last few verses really set up what we want to talk about today. And so the title of my message today is going to be very simple. It is, here we go again. Look at your neighbor and say, here we go again. What we're going to focus on, we're going to talk about how to, how to, how to navigate difficult conversations that divide us. We've got a lot of those things going on. We've got a lot of those conversations. And so we want to talk about how to navigate those difficult conversations that truly divide us. All right, let's pray and let's jump in. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity again. Lord, we pray that you would have your way, God. I pray that you would speak to us, God. Let us hear this word in the same way that you gave it to me, God. And let us not just hear, but God, let us be doers of this word. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. All right, so I have a question for you. You don't have to answer out loud, but just think really quickly. Have you ever been in a familiar situation or maybe you've been in a situation and thought to yourself, here we go again, here we go again. I don't know, maybe, and everyone's a little different, but maybe you've been in a situation where you thought, oh, not again, or here we go again. This can't be happening again. Uh, let me see if maybe this resonates with some of the people um, who are here or listening to us. But maybe you got, uh, for, for the husbands in the crowd, maybe you got these four magic words that our wives like to give us that we absolutely hate. Maybe you heard the four words, we need to talk. And maybe you thought to yourself, oh, here we go again. Everybody say, here we go again. When you receive that text or you hear those words, it's like, oh no, here we go again. Or, or maybe some of you can relate to, maybe you saw um, Kanye West on TV or something and you thought to yourself, oh no, here we go again. Because it seems like every time Kanye West is on TV, and I love Kanye, Kanye, if you're listening, I love you. But maybe you, maybe you saw Kanye on TV and you thought to yourself, here we go again. What is this dude talking about now? And you thought to yourself, this can't be happening again. Is he crazy? Is he flipping out? You have no idea. He's unpredictable. Here we go again. Let me, um, I'm going to give you an example for most of those who are family here. You might understand this example, especially the older people. Um, but I remember being a kid. And one of the things that you might not be able to tell today is that my mother um, had a moment in her life where she could be off the chain. And I'm going to break it down for you this way. We would be in the parking lot or something and someone would cut us off. And then all of a sudden we would see my mother just kind of turn red and it'd be like, oh, no, here we go again. Everybody say, here we go again. And in that moment, you had no idea what was about to happen. Was she about to jump out the car and fight the person in the other car? Because she was not shy or timid to let the other car know what was on her mind. And so us kids would be in the back and we would be thinking, oh, no, here we go again. Oh, no. Maybe you have some of those people in your family because we also have a sister um, who anytime something was going down, our first thought was, oh, no, here we go again. Calm down. And I won't say her name. I won't shout her out. But we'd be like, oh, no, calm down. Here we go. Or I don't know if you've seen the, the Instagram reel recently. And again, I love talking about reels because 
They are so relatable to some of the things we deal with in life. But maybe you saw this Instagram reel. And in this reel, it talks, I guess the description is how black people respond or every black person has the same response to when someone says something. And so the me, the reel continues and you might hear someone in the reel say, I'm about to slap everybody in here. And everyone's reaction, all black people's reaction is the same. It might be like, who are you going to slap? And so you think, here we go again. We have one of those in our family. Everyone say, here we go again. On a less lighter note, I know some of those are really funny and, and you know, some of you might be able to re- relate to those. Maybe you got people in your family who, who you might describe as like, oh, that's the here we go again person. But on a less, uh, on a less lighter note, um, maybe there's some key events in your generation that have shaped your generation. Um, there was a, a recent study, and, and I wish I had the picture, but um, it actually described um, different life events for each generation. So baby boomers, or it started with the silent generation, baby boomers. It talked about Gen X. It talked about millennials, talked about Gen Z. And a lot of these different events, there were like top 10 events that shaped uh, this generation's life. And so as you can imagine, some of those things were like 9-11 was a big one on almost everyone's list because that event shaped the generation, the way that you go to the airport and the way you have to travel, a lot of that and how intense security is now, um, it's like, man, that was shaped by that event. If you can think of the movie Home Alone where they're running through the airport, that was how the airports were before 9-11. Now, after 9-11, let me catch you running in the airport and see how quickly security is on top of you. And so those events shaped the generation. So other generations talked about different wars in their lifetime. Um, For us now in this generation and all the generations who are converged in this moment, we can look at some of the more current things that have happened. The the events of, of George surrounding George Floyd's passing, that is an event that has shaped our generation. But every time there's an event that happens that can possibly alter or shape our generation, I have this sentiment and this feeling of, oh man, here we go again, right? Everyone say, here we go again. Maybe you see a, a, another police shooting on TV and immediately it's like, here we go again. It's like, what, what the heck? Why do these things keep happening? And so there's all these different events, all these different moments that take place in life that may bring up those feelings of here we go Again, in the last two, uh, last few weeks, actually, there's been two major decisions that, um, have, that will shape our generation today. One of those is the U.S. Supreme Court eliminating a federal constitutional right to an abortion. And so now women's reproductive health care, the landscape of all of that is changing. And so it's like a, here we go again. Here's another issue or another situation that we now have to deal with as people. Or maybe you, you, you might resonate with federal gun laws changing and the president passing new gun laws that are going to shape the landscape of gun safety. And while it might not do all the things that some people are hoping it does, it is a very, um, it, it is a, it, this passing of this bill, this passing of this law is a big deal as this, these things haven't changed for years. And so these are things that are happening right now that might cause you to feel like, oh no, here we go again. If it's not the actual situation, it is the conversations that are happening 
in your workplace, with your neighbors, with your friends, with your family members that are dividing us. And that could bring up those feelings of, oh, here we go again. Because if you remember back to 2020 and 2021, there was a lot of things that were happening where we basically, even as the church, we identified like, man, we're not as united as we thought we were. Right. All, the, the one word that that could demonstrate how divided we are as people is Trump. That's all you got to say. And you can see the C split. You can see people on one side. Oh, I hate them. You can see the people on the other side. Oh, I love them. And so it divides us as people. These things that are happening right now fall in line with some of those things. COVID is another thing that you could bring up that divided us as the church. You have some people saying, no, mask off forever. Like we're not, COVID's not real. There, you know, there was one church in the area who during the midst of COVID had the nerve to hire an in and out truck. And they had thousands of people outside, like enjoying no mask, just going all in. And then you have the other side of it where some people were overreacting and maybe even haven't opened up churches even to this day because of how afraid they are of COVID. And so these are things that have divided us as a church, as people in general. And so here we go again. Uh, when it comes to the, the women's reproductive uh, and, and the healthcare and, and the situation that's happening there, um, I had a friend who had posted something on Instagram to describe this, and it really um, resonated with me and actually fell right in line with what I wanted to talk about today. Uh, here's what he said. He said, the media is doing a wonderful job of dividing us once again. I hope we open our eyes to really see what's going on and find a way to come together. Only then will we come up with true solutions to these divisive issues. And the problem is that these issues are dividing our world and the church included. And so between COVID and Trump, as I just mentioned, the church was so divided that you could cut the tension with a knife. In the text that we just read, Paul is talking and he's writing to Titus and he instructs him to remind the people to avoid dissension. He, he reminds them to avoid this amongst one another, avoid dissension amongst the church and individuals within the church, avoid disagreements that will cause or lead to a lack of harmony. The reason is because division is seen as perverse behavior. And we as a church, as the church should seek unity as the church. And so Paul is trying to tell Titus like, yo, make sure you watch out for this amongst the believers, because if there's any individual within the group who is dividing the church, this can this can have a trickle down effect and the church should operate in unity. Everyone say unity. That is the purpose of the church to bring people together. And so for so long, the church has, has felt more like this inclusive or this exclusive club where it was just me and my people. And, and we're just taking care of those who already believe as opposed to being inclusive like a hospital where it doesn't matter who you are, if you need care, if you need help, if you need support, you could come in and you could find the healing that you're needing. And so Paul is telling Titus, like, look, watch out for people who think that the church or this space uh, or who is dividing this church in this space and, and creating division amongst the people. He even tells Titus and, and he warns uh, to he, he tells Titus, warn those who bring division to stop. 
He makes it very clear. Stop. Tell him to knock it off. And why does he tell him that? He says to cut off individuals who continue to bring division after they have been warned as well. Because Paul understands that, yo, when there is division amongst the church, the church can't operate to its full potential. When we can't, when we can't get along, when we're on two different sides of these conversations as a church, we can't operate at our full potential. And so sometimes what we need is we need kind of like this moment to reset, to talk about how do we navigate some of these difficult conversations that are created and drummed up to divide us to ensure that we aren't divided, to ensure that we stay focused on what our goal and expectation is of us as a church. Here is, here's, uh, here's how Jack Hayford um, describes this. And, and what's interesting about Paul, before I get to that, what's interesting about Paul talking to Titus about this matter is because Titus is, we don't know a whole lot about Titus, but we know Titus had a strong personality. So I can imagine that if you needed anyone to tell someone to stop doing something, you would want to use the person who's got a strong personality. And so Paul uses Titus and he says, look, just tell him to stop. Like, tell them to stop causing this division. Tell them to stop with all the extras. Tell them to stop trying to divide us. And, and, and Titus, who is this young preacher, and even the book of Titus is written to this young preacher to help us as the church and help young pastors and help young believers understand what it looks like to be the church. And so he's telling Titus, who has a strong personality, tell the church to stop. Here's how Jack Hayford talks about this topic. He says, a divisive man or woman is one who makes a choice pleasing to himself, regardless of all other considerations. He is obstinately attached to an opinion that is not sound and threatens the unity of the church. Such a man is to be rebuked, and if he does not heed the rebuke, he is to be avoided. It is so, you know people in your life who are very opinionated. You know those people. Just just think about those people for a moment. You know how challenging it can be when you're dealing with those people, because what can happen and and there there is there are pros and cons to someone who has a lot of opinions. It's all about how you leverage the individual's personality, right? Because a person who is very opinionated can galvanize a group of people toward an action that doesn't benefit the whole, but actually just benefits the individual. Like, yeah, we should we should burn this place down. Like, yeah, we should get out of here. And then all of a sudden you got a whole group of people who are like, I don't have an opinion either way, but I'm with him. Let's go. But if you have a person who's opinionated and you can galvanize them towards a positive result, then what it looks like is, man, like we should walk this whole neighborhood and go find people who have never heard of Jesus and go preach about Jesus. Yeah, let's go do it. That is so much better than the former right? That is so much better than burning any place down. And so it's not about the the fact that you're opinionated. That's the problem. It is what are you holding your opinion on? Like, what are you willing to die for when it comes to your opinion? And again, if I can galvanize you towards the more positive action that benefits the whole rather than the individual, then, then, then we're cooking with grease, right? Now we're moving forward in a forward direction versus tearing things down. And that's what Paul and Titus were speaking to in the book of Titus. Like, like stop with all the divisiveness. Paul, Paul also wants Titus to address the church uh, when it comes to how to interact with individuals outside of the church. So not only are we seeing an issue amongst the church about being divisive, 
and having some of these challenging moments. But Paul is also like, yo, remind the people how to interact with people who don't even come to church. Like remind, remind them how they should operate as well. Titus chapter two, uh, chapter three, verse two, it says, speak evil of no one, be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Again, we just ended this series on grace. And in that series, we talked about how grace is available to everyone. Like regardless of how bad you've been or how, how challenging you've been as a human, grace is still available to you. And so Paul is just kind of saying like, listen, regardless if they are part of the church or not, here's how we should interact with them. And the reason why we're being taught this is because Paul recognizes that when we have gentle disposition as believers, when we know how to communicate with people outside of the church, we can influence them for good. Right. It's so tough to try to get people to come to church and try to get people to 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 know who Jesus is when you got a bad attitude. Like that's hard. That's you. You already starting behind anyway, as it is. Now you putting yourself down by 10 points when you got a bad attitude. And so Paul is like, yo, have a good disposition. Speak no evil. Be peaceful. Be gentle with people. Show humility. Like we shouldn't be the type of church that's walking out of here like, look, you are you are a sinner and we are right and you're wrong. Remember that scene in Matilda where the father is talking to Matilda and he's like, I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm right, you're wrong. For, to be honest, that's how the church has looked for so long to people outside of the church. Like we have carried ourselves in such a way for so many years where people outside of the four walls don't even feel like they can come in because we've spent so much time telling them how wrong and how terrible and how dirty they are, as opposed to offering them a towel and healing to clean themselves off. Like that is the type of church that we should be because we ought to be a church that serves those who need to be served versus waiting for those people to come and find us as if they're coming to serve us. As the church, we should be going out, being peaceful, being gentle, exercising humility. Paul understands that we can influence people for good when we are interacting in this way. Part of our vision is to, uh, our, our vision is to grow closer to Christ, be givers like Christ, and reintroduce the lost to Christ. If we're going to reintroduce the lost to Christ, if we're going to help in this, this work of reconciliation that we've been called to, if we're going to do any good in this community, these, this, this is the characteristics that we should be displaying. We should be peaceful. We should be gentle. We should be humble to all men, to all of them. Don't matter what they look like, what they said to you in the past, we should demonstrate these characteristics to everyone. Here's a quote. It says, our lives as believers are to manifest the fruit of the spirit as a testimony to others, including those in authority. The fruit of the spirit, being patient, being kind, love, all of those things we should be demonstrating. We should be demonstrating for everyone. And so how do we, as we come back to this topic of, you know, here we go again. Everyone say, here we go again. Now we've got a situation where we could potentially be divided as people again. We've got two really big hot button issues that have come up more so uh, women's rights and health and all this stuff, more so that it's been so long that we've, that we've dealt with that type of issue. And now here we are, we've got this, this decision, this reversal of this Roe v. Wade, and now we have to contend with this difficult conversation that's going to come up. Because I guarantee in your workplace, you've got some people who are like, 
what's the big deal? And then you have other people in the workplace who are like, yeah, that's right, who might be out protesting now. They didn't ask for two weeks of PTO to go protest with everyone else and, and you know, cause all this kind of division amongst other people because they're so passionate about this decision. And, and I'm not here to try to sway you on which side you should be on. That's, that's not my position. My position is to demonstrate or to show you how even in the midst of these difficult conversations, we could still be kind. We could still be loving. We could still not act a fool in the midst of all these situations. Like, it doesn't matter what side you want. I, I, I applaud everyone and, and I encourage you to have a position. That, that's fine. Have a position. Be on whatever side you want to be on. But at the end of the day, there's some things that we have to remember when it comes to these conversations and the fact that we are all individuals in these conversations that will help us in these situations. So instead of like being on both different sides and then also hating each other, there's a way to have your position and still navigate some of these conversations peacefully and not end up getting fired because you didn't kick someone at work because... Y'all on two opposite sides of the spectrum, right? Everyone say, here we go again. All right, so five points really quick. We'll get to these. All right, so the first one is this, how to navigate difficult conversations. The first thing is this, keep the main thing the main thing, right? And I'm not talking about the actual argument. I'm not talking about what you believe as far as like what should have been ruled and what should we have done. That's not what I'm talking about. Keep the main thing the main thing. Here's what Titus Chapter three, verses, uh, verses three through eight tells us, and this is helping us keep the main thing, the main thing. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, bitty, disobedient, excuse me, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating on one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's a reason why Paul sets up this book this way. There's a reason why before he even gets to the divisiveness, he's setting this up and saying, listen, do not forget that we were all disobedient. We were all foolish. We were all sinners at one point or another. And it's just by the grace of God that you've been able to find salvation. It's just by the grace of God that you've been able to become who you have become. Continues on and it says, um, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is where it gets really great. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So what is the main thing? The main thing, even in the midst of these difficult conversations, keep the main thing the main thing. That is God. Don't forget why you, don't forget who you are in the midst of these conversations. Don't forget that at the end of the day, regardless of the conversation, if it does not help you accomplish and achieve your purpose, why are you so passionate about it? 
If it's not going to lead you towards doing what God has called you to do, then you, then, then honestly, like you should be able to walk away from that conversation without being all hot and bothered and feeling like you're about to go off on somebody. Because at the end of the day, when it comes to these difficult situations, you should also be approaching these conversations with the mindset of how can I insert Jesus in this conversation? Yeah, we can talk about what people's opinions are and their feelings, but I am intentionally thinking, ooh, when, I, when can I bring in Jesus? Like, when, when can I start talking about, you know, how Jesus died for us? And when can I start talking about what the word of God says in the middle of these conversations? I feel like that's what Paul was trying to do to start this text. I feel like he was trying to say, like, listen, let's not forget what the main thing is. Like, we're going to get to the current issue, the thing that's top of mind. But before we get there, let me remind you that what is trustworthy and, and what you should what you should focus and devote your time to is doing good works. If the conversation you're having is not leading you to good works, then I, I, I would be really cautious about how much time you're investing in that conversation. Right? There's going to be many pressing issues and concerns that come up in our world. But at the end of the day, none of them are important if they are not leading you to fulfill your purpose, and that is making Christ known. Regardless of how talented you are, what you can do, how you can do it, doesn't matter. All of that does not matter. At the end of the day, your, your gifts and your talents should all help to lead people towards Jesus and making Christ known. That's it. And so some practical advice before engaging in these conversations, pray before you get there. Before you get to this conversation, before you get to work, because who knows who's going to stop you in the parking lot? I know y'all got coworkers like that and friends like that at work who be stopping you. And it's like, I, I'm five. I got I to gotta start my day. Like, I, I love to talk to you, but I also need to clock in. Before you even get to the parking lot, be praying on your way to work. Lord, help me. Help me to insert you into this discussion. How can I bring someone closer to you as a result of this interaction? At the very least, how can I display your love in the midst of this conversation? Right? How can I display who you've called me to be in this conversation? And what does that look like? It means that my words should be seasoned with salt. So the last person who should be uh, flipped or going off on people, the last person who should be using profanity in these types of conversations that can get very heated are believers in Jesus Christ because scripture tells us, may your words be seasoned with salt, building people up. Right. So if I'm keeping the main thing, the main thing, then when I'm in the midst of this conversation, then my intent and my goal is to build people up and individuals will feel that based on the impact. So keep the main thing, the main thing. These will not be the last divisive topics that will come up. This is only the beginning. Everybody say, here we go again. And here we go again, because we've been here before. Like we've had these moments before, and I hope that we've learned something from the previous divisive conversations that we've dealt with over the last two years. But here we go again. These will not be the last divisive topics that you will deal with in your lifetime. I hope so, but I, I can't, I, I'm not going to hold my breath. Like we are always going to have some of these issues come up. And so ask yourself, is this the hill that I'm willing to die on? Before you go to this conversation, am I, am I really about to sit here and, and be stuck in my opinion and stuck in my position that this is, that this is the space I'm, I'm willing to be remembered for? Like, this is the argument that I got to win. Like, 
regardless of whether I hurt your feelings or not, I got to win this one because I feel so passionate about it. If it's not leading you to bringing people closer to Jesus, this should not be the hill that you die on. Now, if someone is having a conversation about whether Jesus is real or not, I mean, we could go all day. Like, let's let's talk. Right. Always be prepared to give an account for why you believe what you believe. Not always be prepared to give an account for why you believe one issue is right over the other, but why you believe what you believe. That is a worthy argument to have. But let's do it with wisdom as well. Right. We should be devoting ourselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for us. I'd rather be known as the person who, in spite of all the mess going on around us, in spite of all the different conversations and the issues that we're dealing with, I'd rather be the person who is known for being anchored in Jesus Christ so that when things feel like chaos around me and all my friends and family and coworkers are dwelling in the chaos, I'm over here chilling with my legs kicked up in peace because I know I'm anchored in Jesus Christ. So no matter what happens, whether it's COVID uh, strain number 10,000, regardless of what it is, I am anchored in Jesus Christ. That is who I put my hope in. That is who I put my trust in. I'd rather be known for that than to be known as some fool who argue over something that will continue to divide us as people. I want to be known for running the race set before me, not being distracted by the enemy's attempts to divide us as believers. All right, so the next, how to navigate these difficult conversations. Here's the next thing. Starve your flesh, feed your spirit. Very simple. Starve your flesh, feed your spirit. Here's what Titus 3 verse 1 says. It says, remind them to be ready for every good work. If I am going to be ready for every good work, then I need to be feeding my spirit, not my flesh. I need to be feeding because the good work that God has prepared for us to do long before we were even born, that is going to come from the spirit, not from the flesh. So I've got to starve the flesh and I've got to feed my spirit. I've got to spend more time, the practical way to think of this, I've got to spend more time focusing on what scripture says and less time worried about what CNN and MSNBC has to say, right? Because at the end of the day, the more I feed myself some of those things, the more I start to sound and retort some of the things that have been described in those spaces. But if I'm feeding myself with the word of God, then the more I sound and operate and act and move like the word of God describes. And so I've got to feed my spirit with the things that will help me to do the good work that God has called me to do. If I feed my spirit, my opinions and my views will resemble what God says. If I feed my flesh, my opinions and my views will resemble what Don Lemon and all these other crazy folks got to say. And so I've got to starve my flesh, feed the spirit. Here's a, um, here's a little, uh, a bit of a story that I'll share um, to kind of give you an example of, of, of what this might look like. Uh, and so here's a story. It says, an old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It is a terrible fight and it is between two wolves. Everyone say two wolves. One is evil. He is angry, envious, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. That's one wolf. 
He continued, he said, the other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you and me. This fight of these two wolves. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then he asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? He asked him, out of these two wolves, the one who is evil versus the one who is good, which one of those wolves is going to win? And the old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed, the one you feed. So with these two wolves that are fighting on the inside of us, the evil versus the good, the one who will win, the one who will survive, the one who will be the representative for the individual is the one that you feed. And so whatever you feed, this is a quote that we've heard before, whatever you feed grows, whatever you starve will die. And so as believers, we have to starve the flesh, it means, which means practically not giving in to some of these fleshly issues and these arguments and fighting and all this unnecessary stuff going on. I've got to be worried about what do I need to do for my spirit, not what's going on with my flesh. I've got to starve the flesh. Here's what scripture tells us about div- division. It says that division is from the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Here's what it says. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, those works of the flesh. It sounds like that evil wolf. The Bible also describes that uh, divisiveness is devoid of the spirit. In Jude chapter 1, verse 17 through 23, it says, but you must remember, beloved, that the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It feels very much like this, right? Like there are people who are just in the face of religion, in the face of all things that are that we think of good and all things uh, that, that have to do with God. There's people who are scoffing at those things. In other words, like laughing or, or smirking at those things and they're following their own ungodly passions. Verse 19 in Jude chapter one says, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. So we've got to remind ourselves, don't don't feed the flesh. Don't feed into these arguments. Don't feed into these different issues that are going on. Don't spend your time investing your time in arguing and fighting back and forth about things that have nothing to do with the spirit. Starve your flesh, feed your spirit. I I heard it uh, said this way, just a little differently, but heard it said this way. Don't allow the things we see around us to infect our faith in God who controls all these things around us. Like, don't allow these things around us to infect our faith. The issues that are going on, the arguments, the fighting, the back and forth, don't allow these things to infect our faith. Continue to remain steadfast in who God has called you to be, standing on the word of God, standing on the faith and what you believe as a believer. All right, so another point, uh, how do we navigate these difficult conversations? Um, Don't trust your feelings. 
Don't trust your feelings. Your feelings will get you in trouble every single time. Don't trust your feelings. Proverbs chapter three, verse five through eight says it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your, bone, your bones. If putting my trust in the Lord and, and acknowledging God in all my ways and choosing not to be wise in my own eyes is healing to the flesh and refreshment to the bones, to the bones, then trusting my feelings and responding from my feelings or being wise in my own eyes or being arrogant in that sense is deterioration to my flesh and to my bones. And so I got to trust in the Lord, not in my feelings. Because at the end of the day, feelings are data, not directives. Feeling is just data. And it's important to have those feelings. It's important to take all of those feelings in and feel what you feel. But your feelings are not directives. Your feelings are not the thing that gives you your marching orders. They are just data. There are things for you to take in. Just because you feel angry or fearful about something doesn't mean you have to communicate or operate from that place. You have to be mindful of what your feelings are telling you. You have to be mindful of what you, what you are feeling. But at the end of the day, don't be led by your feelings. Feelings can be fleeting. It's all about being emotionally intelligent. I get an opportunity at work uh, to teach new managers about emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is very simple when you, when you think about it. Emotional intelligence, here's the definition, is having an awareness of one's own emotions and the ability to effectively control and express those emotions while navigating interpersonal relationships. I can tell you the whole 2020 and 2021, it seemed like the whole world was lacking emotional intelligence. We had a hard time connecting with people. We had a hard time navigating interpersonal relationships and being emotionally uh, uh, in control of our feelings. We got to learn how to get better at some of those things. Emotional intelligence is also the capacity to recognize and respect others' emotions. We had a hard time respecting others' emotions because they were on different sides of the spectrums of the beliefs that we held. And so we had a hard time respecting others' emotions. There's two components to emotional intelligence that are really helpful when it comes to um, trying to understand how to not trust your feelings. It's about being self-aware. Self-awareness is the first one. And then the second one is self-management. Self-awareness is it involves the ability to recognize your own emotions and know how to express them to effectively interact with others. It's about being self-aware. Look at your neighbor and say, be self-aware. And then self-management is about managing emotions and not acting impulsively. When we trust our feelings, really what we're doing is we're acting impulsively. I don't care what you tell me. If you, oh, I waited it out for, I counted 10 seconds and I'm still hot, so I'm going after it. No, you're still responding and acting impulsively. Take those feelings in, pause, walk away, do all the necessary things to cool down before you respond. Self-managing, manage your emotions and not act impulsively. It's an element of emotional intelligence. This enables us to be adaptable without getting rattled because that's really what's happening. In the midst of these hot 
issues, when we start going back and forth with people, really what's happening, we, we have this overload and we're getting rattled in the moment. And so now we're just acting impulsively and we're going off and it might feel good in the moment. And I might feel like, man, I, I said some good stuff. I made some great points, but really you are deteriorating your whole well-being because you're spending time going off on someone and you're not respecting their emotions. You're not expect, uh, uh, respecting their feelings. And you are just having a hard time adapting to the situation in itself. And so we've got to be emotionally intelligent human beings, emotionally intelligent Christians. Before we do anything, we have to be self-aware. Why am I feeling what I am feeling? What am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? Really being able to understand that first and then being able to say, okay, I, I recognize that I am angry for now. I recognize that I am frustrated for now. I recognize that this is bothering me for now. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit or his feelings, but a wise man quietly holds it back. We got to learn how to be some wise man around here. We got to learn how to not give full vent to our feelings. We got to learn how to not allow our feelings to control what is coming out of our mouth or to control what we're thinking. We can't give full vent to our spirit and spirit in the sense of lowercase s, not capital S, spirit in that sense. We can't give full vent to our feelings. We've got to be wise and hold back before we double dutch into an argument that's going to get us in trouble and, and you know, potentially uh, tear down some relationships with people that we care about. We have to take a step back, take a deep breath, assess why we're feeling the way we are. Don't trust your feelings in these difficult conversations. The next thing we got to do is this. We have to separate the person from the problem. Man, it, listen, in the workplace, when it comes to managing people, um, being in HR and having to support managers who have to deal with difficult performance conversations, one of the pieces of advice that I give people all the time is separate the person from the problem. Separate the person from their performance. Because when you do that, then you'll recognize that, man, at the end of the day, this is still a person. And I still care about this person and I still care about their well-being. And so that helps you approach the issue or the performance challenges in a different way. If you don't separate the two, then what ends up happening is you will be driven by the problem. And because the problem is such an issue, because they're not performing well, that is all you'll be focused on instead of what is going on with this person. What is happening within them? I'll never forget when, when George Floyd and all this stuff was happening, uh, our, our branch manager came and found me and was just having a conversation about this and was just like, man, like, what is going on? What is the issue? And I said, the issue that we're dealing with is a people problem. We're dealing with a people problem and we need to learn how to love and be kind to each other. If we don't learn how to get that right, we will always have the problem. Always. We will always have the problem. So we've got to learn how to separate the person from the problem. Titus, Titus chapter 3 verse 2 again, remind them to speak of no one, speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Listen, 
If you don't remember anything else from this message, if you could go to work tomorrow or you could go into your sphere of influence tomorrow, if you can just remember to have perfect courtesy toward all people, it will change the dynamic of your relationship and the conversations that you have. Just go into the conversation being willing to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Just basic, common courtesy will take you a long way. We've got to be cognizant of the fact also that no matter how passionate we might be about some of these topics and the issues, the individual on the opposite side of our argument is still a person. It is still a person who voted for Trump. It is still a person who didn't vote for Trump. It is still a person who is who is on the other side of these confrontations. And if we can remember that in the midst of these difficult times, man, it will change how we interact with people. What we forget all the time is that we're all human beings. And so we're, we spend so much time talking about how different we are. We spend so much time talking about how this person feels this way and this person feels that and that person is, is a Democrat and that person is a Republican and that person is conservative and that person is liberal. We, we spend so much time talking about the opposites that we forget that we all have one thing in common that you can't change whether you like it or not. You can't choose whether you are a human being or not. That is just who you are. So we all have this commonality that we have to remember in the midst of these difficult times. We're going to have differing opinions. That's fine because our backgrounds are different. So they're going to shape our opinions sometimes. We're going to have differing opinions because of our experiences. It's going to shape who we are. All of the things that create our identity will shape our opinions. And so those things can be different from one person to, to one another. That is all fine. But what is of the utmost importance is the fact that we all have this one thing in common. So I am choosing to separate you as an individual from what you believe as a, at, or what the problem is or what the, what the stance is. I'm going to separate you from that and see you for who you are as a person instead of focusing on the problem that you're fighting for. I have learned that nine times out of 10, when someone has some sort of performance issue or some sort of problem that they're dealing with, if you can get to the root of the person and just ask a simple question of how are you doing? How are you feeling? You will come to find out that really what they are promoting as the problem is not really the problem. There's some other things that are going on there. So if us as believers can really sit with people who are on opposite sides of the spectrum of what we believe and really get down to how the person is feeling, we might be able to close the gap in our different beliefs. We might be able to actually win some people over to Christ if we can sit down, be humble enough to understand what is the person dealing with, what in this person's background has created this experience and makes them believe what they believe today. If we can figure that part, if we're willing to pause and be reflective enough on that part, we might be able to help the problem and be better at closing the gap in, in our differences. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 through 31. And here's why we have to separate the person from the problem. Here's what Mark tells us. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. You would want someone to treat you as a human being, as a person, not as the problem that you're promoting. So love 
people. Start there. If you can separate that and begin to love people where they're at, regardless of their beliefs, regardless of what they feel, man, we could get somewhere. Jack Haver says it this way. He says, love in this twofold direction toward God and others is our moral obligation. In spite of their position on the problem, remember their personhood. If I can remember that, it makes all the difference. All right, here's the last one and we'll get out of here today. Don't lose your identity over your opinion. Don't lose your identity over your opinion. Is your opinion worth your identity? Is your opinion worth who you are as a person? Are you really going to fight that hard for your opinion? Are you willing to lose your identity over that opinion? Just think about that. Here's, here's, um, here, here's a thought to this. It, it's, it's okay to have an opinion on certain matters, but don't allow or be so attached to that opinion that you forget who you are as a person. And this really comes down to reducing all this other stuff, all, all this other stuff, right? Before race, before gender, and this is, this is for us as believers, before race, before gender, and sometimes I think we have to remind ourselves this, even as black folk, before we are black, before we are any of these other things, before race, gender, class, ethnicity, sexual preference, political party, we are believers in Jesus Christ. That supersedes everything. That is the pinnacle of our, of our identity. It is the fact that we are believers in Jesus Christ. Not that I'm black, not that I feel the way that I feel, but it's the simple fact that I am a believer in Jesus Christ. My opinion on these other matters is not worth me losing my identity. It is not worth who I am in Christ. I can, I will be passionate about, uh, you know, uh, you know, civil unrest and things of that nature. I will be passionate about all of that, but I am not about to have my opinion be so deep that I forget who I am as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so there is no protest or no event that is going to cause me to come out and be something totally different than who I am as a believer. I'm with you, but at the end of the day, I also trust Jesus Christ. And that is more important than the issues that are going on. That is more important than my opinion. And so I, I'm not going to galvanize a population of people or, or, you know, infiltrate my sphere of influence with my opinion. At the end of the day, I am going to allow my identity as in, in Jesus Christ to do all the talking for me. That is the part that I need to remember as a Christian. Before I am black, before I am male, before I'm Democrat or Republican, I must remember who I am called to be as such before anything else. And this is just a reminder for all of us. And this is something that should stick with us as we go into our day. Monday, here's what Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 tells us. Very familiar text. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you should know this. You are the salt of the earth. Before the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If you're going to allow your opinion to supersede your identity, then you are losing your saltiness. You are losing your saltiness. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds 
and glorify your Father in heaven. It is not through our opinion that we let our light shine. It is through our, our identity where we let our light shine. And so I am not willing to hide my light under a bowl. I am not willing to become unsalty for the sake of an opinion that at the end of the day, my identity is the thing that should supersede even that. So as believers, as Christians, you are salt and light of the earth. Regardless of your opinion, make sure you are giving light to everyone. That is who you are. That's who we are as believers. So in my friend group, on social media, wherever it is, I have to ask myself the question, am I giving light to everyone? Am I giving light to everyone in the room or just this group who believes what I believe and thinks what I think and is on the same side of all these other things that make up my, my fleshly identity? Like, it, am I giving light to everyone because of my identity in Christ or just these people who share my opinion? If I'm not giving light to everyone, I am not fulfilling my purpose. The goal of every believer is to give light to everyone. I said it earlier, just a little different. The goal should be and the purpose should be to introduce others to Christ. That is bringing light to everyone in the room. If I'm not doing that, then I'm missing the mark somewhere. And so don't lose your identity over your opinion. Every head bowed and every eye closed in this space today. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope it blessed you and pray that whatever you take away today gets sown deep into your heart and you apply it to your day-to-day -day life. If it was as good to you as it was good to me, please share this message with someone and let's continue to grow together. Part of our vision here at The Grove is to be givers like Christ. If you were blessed by today's message and you want to partner with us in your giving, all you have to do is text GIVE to 844-831-4106 or visit yourgrowthchurch.org slash give. If you're looking for a community to be a part of, we would love for you to call The Grove Church home. And to get connected to us, you can simply text GO to 844-813-5747 or shoot us a DM on one of our social media platforms. I pray blessings over you wherever you are and wherever you go and can't wait for you to join us next time. Peace.